Well, my name is Justin Craig. I'm the family minister here at Windsor Road, and this morning we're going to continue our series called Building Strong Families. Um, Last week, Randy started us off by talking about embracing the role of a steward rather than the role of owner as our child. And today we're going we're gonna to expand on what it means to engage into our children so that we don't miss it. Now I try really hard uh, to, to go out on special dates and occasions with my, with my children. We have three girls, so prayer is not only needed but essential uh, because they will all be teenagers at, at the same time at one point and just not plan on having any hair left and uh, it's, it's going to be great, it's going to be wonderful. I don't know who's making that noise in the back, but yeah, it's going to be really fun. So we've got three daughters, and I try and take them out on special dates and occasions, and sometimes we'll try and go to a basketball game. Sometimes we'll, we'll just head over to Dunkin' Donuts because they like donuts, and yeah, who doesn't like donuts, right? I mean, they're great. And so we try and do these dates periodically so that, so that they know how to be treated on dates when they get older. And about two years ago, our family got uh, a pack of four tickets to go uh, see a U of I football game. So the morning comes. I'm excited. The rest of everybody else is kind of like, eh, it'll be fun, right? But I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. And that morning, Violet, our youngest at the time, she got sick, wasn't feeling well. So Stephanie was like, you know, why don't you take Lucy to the game? I'll stay home with Violet. Immediately, Lucy thought that was the worst idea in the world. At this point, she's four and just doesn't, evidently, I'm not any fun, so I understand that. Um, but all of a sudden, she's just like, I don't want to go. And so then the bribery volume one starts. Okay, now, have you guys all bribed your kids? Liars. There's no hands raised in here. You guys, you guys are, we've got some that are truthful. Yeah, we bribe our kids, right? So I start the bribery of, you know, Lucy, they got nachos. And I might share some with you. They got popcorn. They got hot dogs. We can even have some pop, but don't tell mom, all right? We'll have Sprite so there's not caffeine running through you. But we'll just sugar you up and then bring you home. It'll be great. So finally, I get her to agree to go with me to the football game. And so we start getting bundled up. It's the end of November, so it's a very cold game. And so we start bundling up. We got the hot hands in our gloves and our pockets and our shoes. Very uncomfortable in your shoes. Don't do that. Bad idea. Really good dad moment there. Just shove them in your shoes. No, it's not good. So we get all bundled up. We're walking around like the kid in Christmas story who can't put his arms down. We're just walking around the house knocking stuff off the shelves because we are bundled and ready to go. We get to the door. I'm ready to open the door. I don't want to go. What? You don't want to? Volume two of bribery starts. I'm like, Lucy, they got chicken fingers and fries. And she's like, I don't think I want to go. I'm like, we could get cheese on it. I don't think I want to go. And so we start bribing a little bit more because now we're all ready to just simply walk out the door. We've got free tickets to the game. Does nobody else understand this? And so finally, after some convincing, lots of bribery and a promise of Culver's after the game, I was like, let's get out the door. So we get into the van. We're driving down towards campus. We don't have a parking pass, so we hit Lincoln Avenue. That's generally our parking spot when we don't have other parking um, means. So we, we pull in and in a van when me, just don't get along. It's like driving a tank. Um, and so you know, I pull in, I, I get all, do like the you know, 97 point turn. I finally get into the space by the meter and I get out, I grab our blanket. I grab, I grab my extra hat. I grab Lucy's extra gloves. I go around to her side. I get over there. I don't want to 
do? I'm like, we're already here. What are you doing? Where's, there's no going anymore. We're here. Get out of the van. So I start unbuckling her. She's crying. Judgmental people are walking down the, down the sidewalk, judging me when all I want to do is shout at them, I'm trying to be a good dad. What's the matter with you? Keep walking. Get out of here. Try to go on a nice date with my, I'm sorry, sweetie. Am I yelling? I'm, that guy looked at me funny. I'm going to fight. Let's go. Trying to be a good dad. Get out of here. What are you doing? She's crying because now I'm, my anger meter is not really bubbling anymore. It's more pouring over the top. So I go from the really, really mad, angry dad moment to the really quiet, very calm. And Lucy's like, I can see right through that. <laughs> You're not calm. You're not calm at all. And so I'm like, sweetie, bribery volume three. Want to get a t-shirt? I mean, we get you something, right? We, they might have some stuff that we could buy there. I, mean, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. She's got tears running down her face. And I'm like, what? What, a part, what part of me terrifies you? Oh, probably the idiot yelling at everybody on the sidewalk that you don't even know. And so I, I get really, really mad. And I go to slam the van door. The van wasn't even cooperating because we got one of those automatic doors. Like when you pull the handle, it so I'm like, well, fine, we'll just go back home. And I'm just standing there just going, I hate everything. The van clicks shut, so I walk around to the other side, and I am, oh, I am, I am, I'm hot at this point. I'm mad. And so I'm like, I wish my dad had taken me to a football game. And it's like, who are you talking to, psychopath? Okay, so I'm just walking around the van. Boy, you know, Lucy doesn't know how great of a dad she's got. I get in knowing I can slam this door. Kaboom! Slam the door shut. Lucy's like, what happened? She's all shocked into this anger that, you know, she's now seeing in me. We turn on the Christian radio and we're driving home. And I realized in that moment of driving home, you know, I may, I may have ruined this moment that I was trying to build with her. This date probably not going very well. And really all my child needed to feel loved and appreciated the day was probably a day at home, some hot chocolate at home, playing board games, reading some books, having a tea party, her idea, not mine. You see, I missed it. Because I was trying to create a moment that surrounded my love language, not hers. I missed it because I was convinced that my plan was greater than anything that she could have come up with. And I missed it because I wasn't engaged. Now, of course, today we're, we're talking about engaging with our kids. But before we do that, we must engage with our king. So here's the bottom line. In case your child ID goes up and you don't come back, we know, we know what's happened to you. This is the bottom line. This is what we're talking about. When we engage ourselves with Jesus, we engage in his message. And when we fail to engage with Jesus, we speak our message. You see, I've, I've learned this week as I've been studying through this that my kids' lives will be much better if they remember what Jesus said, not what I said. So we're going to look at a story this morning in John chapter 4. If you guys have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to John chapter 4. Um, if you didn't bring your Bible, there should be a Bible sitting at the chair in front of you. We're on page 888 this morning. John chapter 4. We'll be starting in verse 1 and reading through 26, so buckle in. It's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. 
Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come and draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes... He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, I know you might be thinking, Justin, that verse has absolutely nothing to do with parenting. And you would be right to assume that it has nothing to do with parenting. But this is a story about connections and about interactions. And it's a story about redemption through Jesus. And if in our parenting styles we aren't guiding our children to have connections with Jesus, interactions with Jesus, or to be redeemed by Jesus, then we are parenting wrong. You see, we, we can make our kids behave, but that is called external control. And what we are really after is internal change. And so I believe that there are three major movements in our scripture this morning that can, that can engage us and help us nurture internal change as we parent the next generation. The first one is that we need to occupy the moments. You see, Jesus establishes a relationship quickly through an uncommon connection. And it's uncommon for several reasons. The first one is that the Jews and Samaritans don't like each other, dating back almost 700 years from this moment. Got a long grudge going against each other. They just don't like each other. They don't get along. So that's one of the uncommon connections. The second one is that there's the male and female connection. That's completely uncommon because Jesus, a teacher, would have been thought of as maybe a rabbi. And rabbis were not allowed to associate with women in public, whether they were were their mothers or their wives, daughters, sisters, aunts. They were not allowed to socialize with women in public. So again, this is uncommon. And then the third and final reason that this is an uncommon connection is the time of day that it is. 
It's noon. Most women come out and line up at the well in the morning because the water is used for cleaning and all the chores get done before the hottest part of the day. But Jesus, Jesus knew that this uncommon conversation, this uncommon person at an uncommon time of the day would result in God's uncommon love being delivered. A love so astounding that in a matter of moments, this woman's life would be completely changed. And so if we are to occupy the moments with our kids the same way that Jesus did, then we need to give uncommon time. Now we're not talking about the quantity amount of time. We're not even actually talking about the quality time that we have. We're talking about the quantity of quality time with our children. Reggie Joyner is a big name in family ministry now. Our, our family ministry team goes to a conference that is led by him uh, in April every year. And he writes in his recent book, Don't Miss It. He says this, when you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time you have left. So he references in the book uh, a, a game clock for, for a game. Okay, some of us, we go into basketball games soon. We've been at football games. And that, that game clock really gives them something to, to push towards, right? It drives because time drives behavior. It drives focus and energy and passion. And when we see how much time we have left, we tend to do more with the time that we have left. So they decide on developing some kind of mathematical countdown for the moment our children are born. So they develop this idea about marbles. And I think it's secretly because they don't want us to lose our marbles as parents. So we've got to keep them all in these sealed buckets, which is a good idea because I drop these all the time. This is 936 marbles. I know because I counted them. You can ask the other staff members. They heard this ding. Ding, 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 ding. As I was counting these several weeks ago, 936 weeks from the time that our children are born till they graduate high school. The next one is 872 weeks from the time they start walking right out of our lives. 676 weeks from the time they start kindergarten. 364 weeks from the time they start middle school, sixth grade. 208 weeks from the time they start high school. Big difference. It goes by fast. 156 weeks from the time that they start driving. And then 52 weeks doesn't even fill up the bottom of it. From the time they start their senior year of high school. And then we bought an empty one. Because I do believe in what Randy said last week, that we still have influence, right? As we walk through the stages of a child over here in our set for the month, we walk through the birth and, and, the, and the elementary years and the middle school years and the high school years. And as the suitcases get full and the rooms get empty, we will still have influence, but it won't be the same kind of influence. It'll be different. It'll feel different. So they decide that if we're going to make every week count, that we should count every one of our weeks. Randy said last week that the days are long. I would add that the nights are longer. <laughs> if you guys have infants or you guys have sick kids, you understand that. The days are long, the nights are longer, but the years are short. And so we need to occupy the moments. God gives us time with our kids because there are certain things in their lives that can only be accomplished over time. So we must act like Jesus does 
and occupy the moment. The second movement that I see in our scripture this morning is that Jesus owns the mission. The first thing that, that, that one of the first things we read in our scripture this morning is that Jesus is weary and tired. Jesus forfeits his own personal needs to attend the needs of this woman. We know that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. And so we know that, that he is tired walking through the desert with a bunch of disciples that are still new to this thing, probably asking him a billion questions. Hey, Jesus, why is that rock so big? You know, I mean, just, you have no idea. I, I just really hope, I didn't say this for service. I really hope that there is like a film reel of like all of the unrecorded conversations between Jesus and the disciples when we get to heaven. Like, because I will sit down, I will grab some heavenly popcorn and just, just take it all in because I just want to know. I want to know what the conversation was like coming back to Galilee. Jesus forfeits his own needs to pursue the needs of the woman. And it made me think that we cannot own the mission of the Lord if we are still in love with the mission of me. And if we were to own the mission of God, we must forfeit the mission of me and forfeit the needs of me. Now, I want, to be, I want to clarify something because last week we talked about ownership in a different light, right? Randy talked about the difference between being a parent that is a steward and being a parent that feels that they have ownership, right? Because every kid is made in the image of God, not made in the image of man or of woman. When we parent our kids from the ownership role, we tend to take things personally. But when we, when we parent our kids from the stewardship role, we will just take them to Jesus, See, we must embrace the role of steward rather than enforce the role of owner. And so when we talk about owning the mission and owning ownership of our child, we do not own our children. God does. They're his. But we can own the mission that God has placed before us as families. And there's also a big difference between Jesus' mission and our mission. Jesus' mission is found, he says what it is in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus alone has the power to save. We cannot save our kids from their sins. We cannot save our kids from their mistakes. We cannot save our kids into heaven because we have faith. See, we can force this external behavior, but internal change belongs to Jesus. And we see Jesus in our scripture neglect his very immediate needs to help the Samaritan woman's eternal needs. So what is, what is our mission? Jesus is, is to come and to seek and to save the lost. What is our mission as parents and as families and as a church our mission as parents is to generously show Jesus' love and grace to our children. And I just, I wrote that sentence down on my board this week. I, I use a big dry erase board. It's massive. Big dry erase board when I, when I do this. Because there's just lots of things that are up here and they need to get out on the board so that I can see them and go, that's terrible, we erase that. But I spent a lot of time on this sentence this week. And it was that first word that I was trying to really, really take hold of and really try to grasp. And I'm like, do I say constantly? No, I say that constantly. Do I say consistently? No, I, pretty, I say that pretty consistently. So what is the word that needs to be here at the beginning? And it's the word generously. To give without expecting anything in return. To generously show Jesus' love and grace to our children. You see, we must be communicating the theme of Jesus more than the theme of me. And we don't do this often enough, often enough because we focus in on the missions that will make our kingdoms greater. 
We have a lot of wants and we have a lot of needs that we feel can be met by enforcing this ownership or this external control over our kids. So that's exactly what we do. Instead of owning the mission of God, we want to control the mission of us. See, we need to resist the pitfall to make ourselves this substitute savior because we do not possess the power to save. We need to engage and own the mission of the real savior. And if we're going to own this mission, if we're going to own the mission set before us by God, then we certainly cannot rent the mission set before us by God. And what do I mean by rent? What do I mean by renting the mission? I mean, we end up doing the minimal amount of Jesus' work in our kids' lives. We end up checking off the Jesus box for the day, the week, the month, or even the year. We'll fit Jesus in if there's any time. Or if I've lost all, all of my wits, if I'm at the wits' end, Maybe I'll mention Jesus. Sometimes we play the Jesus card really early, right? Well, Jesus wouldn't put that nightgown on, I can tell you that. It's like, what does that mean? You laugh because you know it's true. If our kids only hear about Jesus when we step foot into this building, or when we are really angry and at a loss for words, then we are renting the mission of God. We should be nurturing, single-minded, Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. And we cannot do that if we are renting the mission of God. We cannot do that if we're giving our kids the minimal amount of Jesus. So we own the mission. Owning the mission of God for our family means that we are not just the light of the world that Jesus calls us in Matthew 5 Verse 14, but we are the light of our homes. And as soon as the light gets shut down, darkness settles in. And it sets up camp until we decide to own the mission of Christ. Jesus offers the Samaritan woman something that intrigues her to the point of abandoning everything that her past holds and engaging in the saving power that Jesus holds. Our mission as parents is to generously show Jesus' love and grace to our children. And that leads us into our third and final movement in our scripture this morning is that we need to be participating in his grace. Jesus establishes this saving grace with the Samaritan woman. He calls it living water, never being thirsty again. See, Jesus sparks intrigue in this woman's life, not just because he is calling her out of something old, but that he is calling her into something new. Jesus calls out some past sins that are still haunting this woman, which is why she's at the well in the middle of the day, so she doesn't have to face anybody else. The woman goes back into town and shares her testimony with the rest of the Samaritans. They come out and greet Jesus and ask him to stay. He stays for two more days and many come and believe. You see, Jesus did not approach the Samaritan woman with anger, frustration, irritation, or disappointment. He does not approach her to condemn her because of her past, but to extend her grace to lead her into a better future. And as parents and as a church family, our primary calling is not first to represent God's judgment, but rather to constantly deliver his grace. 
No parent gives grace better than one who is convinced that they constantly need grace themselves. And let's define grace. First of all, let me just throw out a disclaimer here. I am really bad at this, if we're going to be really honest and real. Um, I'm very bad at quickly showing grace, something that's been freely given to me. I don't generally offer that freely to my children. So don't see this as me sharing with you, enlightening you, but this has just been stuff that's been on my heart this week. So let's define grace. Grace is not about being wishy-washy. It's not about lowering our standards. It's not about acting as if the bad things our children do are okay. Grace doesn't mean that we abandon discipline or correction. It doesn't mean that we quit holding God's law before our children. It is not letting our children decide or control what they, are, what they aren't able to control. Grace is not about always saying yes and never saying no. Grace is about being as careful to encourage as we are to rebuke. Grace is about discipline that is kind and correction that is gentle. Grace is about being firm and unyielding and loving at the same time. Grace is about refusing to indulge in our irritation and our anger. If we are parenting with grace, we won't condemn our children with a barrage of harsh words. If we're parenting with grace, we won't compare our righteousness to our child's sin. And maybe you're like me, and it's really easy to do that. It comes very natural to come in and lay out a list of all the things that they've done wrong. The other night, we had a fight at our house. I didn't share this first service either. This is off script. So this is great. Uh, if it stinks, sorry. The other night, my wife had spent all day making uh, some homemade bread, and then we do some grilled cheese with that. Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. And so Stephanie's been, been, been preparing this and, and getting dinner all ready. The girls come in, ask what's for dinner, and they, Stephanie says grilled cheese, and they, they, Lucy flips out, just angry, just really angry about it. And I'm like, it's grilled cheese. Like, what? I don't understand here. I go upstairs, and I, I lay into her. Because mom's been working really hard all day. I've been home for five minutes. I don't have a background of the story. I don't have any idea what the day's been like. I go up and I tell her, you will not talk to my wife that way. And then I go and I lay out reasons of why she won't do that. And instead of extending the grace of the Father, I extend harsh words that are out of my own heart. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, that this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us might know verse 23 in there. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But a few words later, Paul writes that we are justified freely. You see, God justifies sin freely because of the finished work of Jesus. He does this on our behalf. And I will speak for me, and maybe you can relate, or maybe I'm a sinner alone in this one, but I do not justify freely. 
In my mind, to keep a long list of the ways that my kids have let me down, hurt my feelings, hurt my wife's feelings, and the way that they've hurt each other. Instead of justifying freely, I condemn freely without a real concept of God's present grace that is extended to me in every moment of every day. You see, I have a very real sense of the past grace that I have received from the Lord. And I sure hope, and I know, because of the promise of Jesus, that there's going to be future grace for me. But living in the fact of present grace is extremely difficult for me. Paul Tripp writes in his book, Parenting, uh, Randy and I have both been really diving into this book over the last several weeks. We've been preparing for this sermon series. We go knock on each other's door. Hey, did you read this page yet? Oh, you need to read this page. It's so good. It's a very, um, very compelling book. It's just called Parenting. He says this about grace. He says, this grace reaches us in our darkest parenting moments. This grace addresses our feelings of helplessness. This grace touches us when we feel we are at the end of our wisdom. This grace is ours for the taking when we're walking down the hallway and we know that we've just blown it. I know I'm not the only one in here who's done that. This grace reaches us when our child seems rebellious and hard-hearted and we don't know what to do. This grace reaches our regrets. This grace reaches our inabilities. He goes on to say, God doesn't call people to be parents because they're able God's grace frees us from having to deny our weaknesses. God's grace rescues us from us. God's grace changes us as parents. God's grace works to make our hearts tender. God's grace liberates us from the prison of regret and guilt. God's grace reminds us that our greatest parenting gift is Jesus, whose sacrifice on the cross is the only reason we are allowed to participate in God's grace. So I don't know if you came or are coming because we're doing a family series and you're expecting some magic formula, but it's really just Jesus. It's really sitting at the feet of Jesus. And as we occupy the moments and as we, as we own the mission set before us by God, we must be participating in the present grace of the Lord. We must engage with Jesus first so that we don't miss what he's about to do in our lives. God gave us time with our kids because there are certain things in their lives that can only be accomplished over time. Our mission is to generously show the love and grace of Jesus to our kids. And if we're going to participate in his grace, we have to become experts at transferring that grace to our children. Generally, I have some questions at the end of, of, of my message, and I, I, I try and develop some, some questions that just kind of sit on our hearts for, for the week and I don't have that this morning. All I have is this quote that I read in a book this week. In every parenting moment, God is working on everyone in the room. In every parenting moment, God is working on everyone in the room. This week's been a hard week to parent for me. Preparing a sermon on parenting it's been a really challenging week at our house. And I don't ever pray for patience because then God will give me a situation to be patient in. And uh, as a parent of three, I don't, whew, patience is, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't want patience. Um, you guys caught that. That was good. But this week was really difficult for me. And I know it's because God was trying to do some work on my heart. Like I said earlier, I'm not good at this. And every time I mess up, I need to fall back to the feet of Jesus. Every day when I wake up, I need to fall to the feet of Jesus. 
Because we as parents need to remember that our kids are the same kind of work in progress that we are. Now for you, maybe this is your first Sunday here and you don't know much about Jesus at all. Maybe for you, you've been coming here for a long time and, and Jesus is, is real and, and you know we do the big Christmas stuff, we do the big Easter stuff and we, we do this really well. But maybe you're not participating in this grace. Maybe you're a parent and you got it all figured out. You should come up and teach. I know that before we had kids, I was a great parent. So... It's those tough moments that God really works to massage out in our lives so that we can be more able to hear his voice loudest. And so remember that in every parenting moment, God is working on everyone in the room. And again, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, we've got elders that will be up here at the end of the service. They would love to talk with you more about that. We've got a group of volunteers in the fireside room out here that we would love to talk with you more about the saving grace that Jesus offers.